right? Father, as we look, Lord, at a topic that in the world, Lord, instantly, Lord, creates war and conflict, Lord, that instantly demands you take a side, and um, Lord, that today there be no sides, there just be truth. God, that you give us the truth, Lord, we have hearts to receive it, and uh, Lord, at the end of the day, when it's time to pick a side, we just, we'd stick with you. Lord, pray for clarity, pray for understanding, uh, and Lord, for anyone maybe today that's just hurting or, or questioning, Lord, speak to them, comfort them, Father, in Jesus' name. We all said, amen. All right, well, today... Uh, we're talking about a unique topic. Last week, in the light of being God's creation and his masterpiece, an irreplaceable, one-of-a-kind, limited edition uh, person, right? God made you unique. Don't, I just, don't ever, ever forget that the moment you die and you fade away, there's no one there to replace you. God says, you are my masterpiece. You're irreplaceable. You're one-of-a-kind, and his, he's loved you for all of eternity, and from that perspective, last week looked at love and romance and reality, that it was to invest now our youthfulness into becoming a man of God, that one day will be worthy of marriage, or becoming that woman of God, that one day will be able to um, just enjoy, right, when God brings that guy or brings that girl. But we're living in a day and an age in which the, not only are they kind of skewing or changing the perspective of love and romance, and it's all this, right, Valentine's Day is coming up, and all this weird things start happening, and our emotions get cranking, but now they've introduced, over the last couple of years, not only are girls supposed to like guys way too early, and guys are supposed to be way too uh, just obsessed with girls too early, but now they're saying, hey, it's okay, guys can like guys, and girls can like girls, and you can call it whatever you want. You can call it homosexuality, you can call it gay, you can call it lesbian, you can call it same-sex attraction, you can call it whatever you want. But it is everywhere, everywhere. If you watch TV, you know what I'm talking about. There are many, many TV shows that they will either make references and comments, whether they're mean and rude and they're jokes, or they're factual, uh, maybe they have characters that play that gay or homosexual person in the show. Uh, you can hear songs, you can look in any newspaper, you can watch movies uh, over and over and over again. And just a couple weeks ago, how many of you guys go to Townsend, by the way? A few of you guys, right on. Uh, it's for all of the textbooks, I think, in the state of California, but a couple weeks ago got to see what's being introduced into your new textbooks in the next two to four years, the topics and stuff like that, a, a portion of your study will be studying people who were gay. That You're going to do You have to do it. It's part of the state curriculum. And you can be like, what? No. Or you can be like, I don't really care. I don't know. And that's not the point is to get you to, to take sides right now, but to let you know this is a real thing that your generation is going to be facing. It has been and will continue to be. It's not something new, though. A lot of times we feel like what we're facing and what we're dealing with, no one understands, no one can relate, and this is new to our war, our fight, our generation. But that's simply not true. The Bible has spoken on this topic over thousands and thousands of years. Jesus addressed it. It's from cover to cover that God made the male and female. He addresses marriage. He addresses uh, relationships. He addresses all kinds of stuff. And so today we're looking at the reality of homosexuality, all right? Uh, a verse that I want to give to you guys as we start off, which this is a huge, huge little part of the Bible for me. Massive. Not just in this area, but in everything I believe and everything I read. When God himself says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, he says, For I am the Lord. 
And he says, I do not change. That is awesome. God says, I don't change. So many people will make a promise and fall short, or they're really happy one day and really sad the next, or, or whatever it, it looks like in the moment. But God says, hey, I don't change. That what I have spoken, I still stand behind. I'm not going to tell you something today and then trick you tomorrow. I'm faithful. I'm consistent. I don't change. And so as we look at the word of God, it doesn't change. This is still what God says about this stuff. This is still what God says about our topic. Time will never change what is eternally true. No culture, no uh, government, no group of people can change what is eternally true. And by the way, there's nothing that the Bible calls sin that would benefit your life. I want you to think about it. Use your brain for a moment. There is nothing that God calls sin that would improve your life. Nothing. I bet you 20 bucks. If you can find a sin in the Bible where God says, don't do this, and it's actually beneficial for people to do it, I will give you $20. I'm totally serious. You can spend the next 10 years of your life if you need to. There's nothing that would benefit your life that God keeps you from. Everything that God says, hey, I don't want you to go there. I don't want you to do this. I don't want you to hang out over here. I don't want you to, every one of them, he says, you're my creation, that masterpiece. You're mine, and you're the only one I made. And so when he sets up these what we call rules or the law in the Old Testament, they're not these uh, to dampen the fun and to take out the joy. It's to keep you safe and on the road that he's planned out, a future and a hope. It's amazing. But what does the Bible say about it anyways? If God says, I don't change, well, what does he say? If you open it up, it's called the law. The first five books of the Bible is sometimes, oftentimes referred to the law, especially the book of Leviticus. And so in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13, it opens up and says, If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. God said, this is wrong. This is not right. It's not right. God's not saying I hate them. God's not saying they're horrible people. But he's saying the action in and of itself is an unhealthy one. And so you're not to do it in the same way is smoking good or bad for your health it's bad for your health is drinking good or bad for your health typically it's a poison and it can give you over time uh, liver disease and all kinds of other things that messes up so he says look at don't engage in a homosexual relationship it's unhealthy first corinthians chapter 6 verse 9 through 10 you should be there hopefully it's on the screen but look in your bibles it tells a list of things that are unhealthy now, what you want to notice, it is one of the things. It is very important. It is something we're not to be part of, but it's not the only thing. It's one of many things. Sometimes we treat people and we segregate them as if they're way worse or they're somehow uh, bigger criminals against God's word. God says, no, no, all of these things are not good, and so you're not to have anything to do with them. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God so don't be deceived. Don't be tricked. In a time where people are saying, well, if it's love, it's okay. Really? That's, that's all it takes is love. Well, don't they I had a teacher when I was in high school, that was over 10 years ago, saying, well, what if they love each other? Dude, I have best friends that I would take a bullet for, but I'm not going to marry them. And I love my dog, and I love my kids, and I love my mom, and I love, I'm not marrying any of them. That'd be weird. That'd be wrong. And so to say the foundation is love, well, what if you stop loving your wife? Should you just get divorced? Not at all. The foundation is never love. The foundation is Jesus. Love is a product 
of living in the Spirit and walking with the Lord, but it's not the foundation for why you do something. Some people love to do drugs. Is it good for them? No. So he says, don't be deceived. Don't be tricked just because you say, well, it's love that doesn't make it right. It doesn't make them evil, wicked, horrible people, but it doesn't make it right. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, people who fall into sexual temptation, nor idolaters, people who exalt things as more important than God, nor adulterers, these are husbands and wives who cheat on each other, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, people who steal, will inherit the kingdom of God. It's a wild thing. If we want to get crazy, your generation, my generation, is struggling big time with this. Not only does it say don't live this lifestyle, but the word here used in the Greek literally means do not, as a guy or a girl, it'd be the opposite, but as a guy, do not ever dress in a feminine kind of a way. You're supposed to be manly. It's, it's a fact. God says, I've made you a man. Man up. You're not supposed to walk around holding hands. You're not supposed to have a, a weak wrist. You're not supposed to give off this feminine example that you're in touch with your... Fe- Dude, get rid of your feminine side for a moment. You're a man. Like, your feminine side can be your mom, right? And ladies, in the same way, you're not to walk around all butch and uh, just gnarly crazy and... Let them hold the door open for you. Let them be men. And it's okay to be a woman. So many times we're just pushed down that you're supposed to be tougher and stronger and more mad. No, who says? Not saying you're weak in any way at all, but you are a woman. God made you that way. It's amazing. Romans chapter 1. Flip your Bibles backwards a little bit. Find Romans chapter 1. It's in the Bible. God says, hey, men should not lie with other men the way that they lie with a woman. God says that you cannot inherit the kingdom of God if you live in this kind of a lifestyle. Romans chapter 1 is amazing. It's been a clear problem for a long time, but it shows us the root of the problem. The root of the problem. You guys ever thrown up? Anybody thrown up in the last 12 months? Yeah? You ever thrown up Del Taco? Dude, it looks exactly the same when it comes out. Is it? You could... It's like it rehabilitates itself. You chew it, swallow it, it comes back out like chopped chicken or something. It's really weird. But what's Romans chapter 1. Uh-huh. That's a lot. So let me ask you something. If you're throwing up, is throwing up the sickness? Is your throw up causing throw up? No. The throw-up is a sign of something going on inside, right? Sin is the same way. We do things. Maybe some of you like to steal stuff. Maybe some of you are tempted uh, to drink or to do drugs someday. Some of you guys are tempted to lie. Some of you guys are tempted to be jealous or you're, you're naturally, you covet things and you just want what other people have. For other people, it's sexual temptation. For other people, look at what we do is evidence of what we feel inside the struggle of our heart. And Romans chapter 1 makes it clear, starting off in verse 21. Take a look. It says, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him, and they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They knew God, they said, Nope, I don't, I'm not on his side. I want to do what I want to do. 
goes on, verse 22, professing to be wise. We've been enlightened. We know the right way. We're the next generation. We're a new culture. We're advancing. Are you sure? Professing to be wise, they actually became fools. And changing the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts. The issue is the heart. But when the heart drifts far enough away, it says to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Verse 25, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. He says, for this reason, what's the reason? Their hearts were wrong. Not that they were in and of themselves horrible, wicked people, but their hearts were off. And he says, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their woman exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman, they burned in their lusts for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. God says, look it. We so label people and segregate them and point their finger as if they're worse than us. That's not what today's about. Today's about the heart. Just like last week was and next week will be. God says, look, I'm not looking on the outward. I'm looking at your heart. And that when we harden our heart, this is one of the temptations that people fall into. But your generation's being told it's not a heart issue. It's just the way it is. It's okay. It's fine. As long as you love one another, that's not true. Why does God say this though? Why does he say, hey, I don't want you to be involved in a same-sex relationship. Hey, I don't want you to pursue this same-sex attraction thing. Why? Because it's unhealthy. It literally degrades and deteriorates the life that God created. Uh, A couple crazy statistics for you guys. You guys know about AIDS? You better by now. It was actually pretty new when I was younger. I can... Elementary school was recently discovered, but AIDS, autoimmune deficiency syndrome, yeah. Probably. Most, uh, well, it's very, very, very likely. I don't know. I have no idea. But of all the people who are infected with this incurable disease that over time is guaranteed to lead to death, well, what's the cause of it? Where does it come from? 82% of people who contract the disease known as AIDS uh, are engaged in a homosexual lifestyle. That's interesting. It is crazy. It shortens your life by 8 to 20 years. You guys all just said, hey, smoking's bad for you. Well, if your friend was like, hey, I'm going to start smoking, would you just be like, dude, knock it off. What are you going to do that for? Well, everyone said it's cool. First of all, not everyone did. And second of all, even if it was cool, it's not good for you. You're going to die, most people, five to seven years earlier. I mean, if you're going to live to 75 years old and you start smoking, you'll probably die by the time you're 70 instead. People that commit to and engage in a homosexual lifestyle can pass away up to 20 years sooner than they were ever intended to. That's if you're going to live to be 75, you die at 55. It is physically unhealthy to be engaged in a same-sex relationship. It increases their chance of getting cancer. You're twice as likely to get cancer as someone who's uh, a guy with a girl or a girl with a guy. 92%, this is wild. Let them get married. Oh, okay, yeah, sure. It's not going to change anything. 
92% of homosexual people say, even if we could get married, I don't want to. That's not love. That's lust. Exactly like what the Bible said, the lusts of their hearts. It's crazy when you look at homes. Which parent don't you need, right, is a great argument I've heard from a young woman who got to talk to either uh, maybe Congress years and years and years ago, but asked the question, do I not need my mom or my dad? Which one don't I need? Good question. Is it as equally good to have two dads as it is a dad and a mom or two moms? Well, the answer is no. They've studied over time uh, that they've seen, look, at someone that doesn't have both a mom and a dad is at a disadvantage. You guys ever seen those, uh, whether it's a basketball or it's a beach ball? When I was a kid, there was beach balls. You blow them up. You know what a beach ball is? But inside would be this little pocket of sand. And you would throw it or roll it, and it'd be like it'd be super wild, like woo, woo, woo. Wherever the weight was is where the ball would tend to roll, and so it would never go in a straight direction. You try and throw it at someone, and it'd like curve across and go to the other side of the room. If all we have are dads pouring in and pouring in and pouring in and pouring in and pouring in, you're going to be a little lopsided, and so you're going to go through life a little bit out of a disadvantage. And same thing, if oh, I have two moms, okay, but if they're all, all you're getting is the female side, female side, female side, female side, you're going to be a little bit disadvantaged that way. But God uses both to instill into us the understanding both of what it takes for, to be a dad and a mom. So which one don't you need? And you, they found out unequally balanced homes, or homes, whether that's homes that are divorced or it's homes that maybe it's two dads or two moms, it is a disadvantage not only to the mom and the dad or the whatever, but to the kids. Seven times more likely to live in poverty, six times more likely to commit suicide if you live in an unbalanced home. It means you are way more likely, four times more likely to struggle with depression and anxiety if you live in an unbalanced home. More than twice as likely to commit a crime. More than twice as likely to become pregnant out of wedlock, meaning pregnant before you're married. You're going to probably do worse off academically, they say, that you're worse off socially and emotionally when they reach even adulthood. I want to pause for a moment because this one branches off into a lot of homes. Maybe it's just mom that you live with or just dad, or maybe you don't live anywhere. You float back and forth, and so you don't really have a home. That's hard. And you're like, man, I feel like I'm doomed. I want to encourage you. There is one person who can bridge the gap and fill all the voids. There's one person who can give you the strength to move on, to disciple you the way that you need to. There's one person who can mend a broken heart, and it's Jesus. I've seen him do it. It's amazing that when you commit your life to the Lord, he fills all the gaps. But outside of that, that when people are brought into an unhealthy relationship, it is an unhealthy result. Statistics on kids without a balanced home currently, 70% of America's inmates, guess what? 70% of people in prison, 70% come from homes that are unequally balanced. They don't have a mom and a dad. Uh, 71% of American kids who end up having, America's teens who have kids before they're married, 71% come from unequally yoked homes. High school dropouts, 71% come from broken or unbalanced homes. You go to juvenile hall, right? If you're a kid and you commit a crime and you go to kid prison, 85% of them come from unbalanced homes. Uh, People that run away from home, 90% come from a broken or an unbalanced home. So which one don't you need? You don't need mom or you don't need dad? You need both. But they love each other. They, okay, fine. I'm not saying they don't, they're incapable of love. I'm just saying it's not the right foundation. 
you can look at a uh, country of Norway, 22 years ago now. 22 years ago, the country of Norway instituted same-sex marriage, so two guys can get married or two girls can get married. Uh, at the time, 39 to 45, up to 50% of kids were born to broken homes or unbalanced homes, all right? They weren't married, there wasn't a mom and a dad. Since then, over the last 22 years, it's gone from 39 to 50%, now to 70% or more kids are born to homes who, that are not intact. But then we just read, well, the result of that is more crime, more prisons, more uh, depression, more suicide. It's unhealthy. Why does God say that homosexuality is wrong? Because it hurts. In the long run, it hurts people. Not only them, but the people that they genuinely care about. It hurts them. Some things I want you guys to think about. If you have questions, by all means, ask. But some things to think about. Even an evolutionary believer has to side with us. We're advancing. We're uh, an enlightened culture, right? Evolution even has to stand on the side and say, actually, the Bible's kind of right about this. Think about it. If evolution is the advancement of a species and only the strong survive and we cut out what is unhealthy so that we can advance as a, as a, as a species or a society then technically you have to get rid of homosexuality. Well, this is the thing. Their argument, or, or the proof would be, if it's good for you, like everyone's saying, well, they're in love, and this is awesome, and let's clap for them, and woo! Okay, hold on. I'm not going to boo them, but at the same time, why are we encouraging something that's harmful to them? If it was such a good thing, then we should all become that, right? The problem is if everyone became homosexual, the entire human race would be out of existence in 80 to 100 years. It wouldn't exist anymore. Why? Because two guys can't have a kid. And two girls can't have a kid. And so even science says, hey, this is unhealthy, not only because of the risk of cancer or disease, not only because you'll die sooner, but even because the existence of humanity would be totally changed. And this is the argument, I was born that way. You'll hear this all the time. They can't help it. They were born that way. Now, that excuse helps people a lot. Because what if I said I was born with a disposition to be mean, and so I can't help it that I punch people in the face? Now, now let's just say if that were true, which it's not, if that were true, what that means is when I punch you in the face, it's not my fault. I was born that way. It immediately takes the responsibility of making a good decision away. It's not my fault. I didn't, it's just the way I am, right? And so when we give them, oh, they were just born that way, immediately he says, you don't have to talk to God about this one, it's just the way you are. It takes away the responsibility immediately. The problem is they've proven no one is born that way. No one is born that way. Uh, Bill Clinton, president, while he was president, dumped hundreds of thousands of dollars into the U.S. Army Science Laboratories to try and find the gene in the human DNA or the genome that would uh, decide if you're straight or if you're gay, and guess what? It doesn't exist. Time Magazine did a huge article on it. No one is born that way. If you were born that way, identical twins would either both be straight or both be gay, but all the time you have one who struggles with same-sex attraction, the other one doesn't. It's not a genetic thing. It's a decision. Put it to you this way. If it's sin, which it is, it's a temptation, which it is, it's not a disposition or, or a way that you are. If you go to the store today, 
to get a bag of flaming Hot Cheetos and a Slurpee or something. And you walk by and you see a bottle of alcohol. And you think of the Clydesdales from the Super Bowl and they were all cute. And you think, I want to try that. Just, just a thought. Just, you just have that temptation because people will have that temptation. To them, that says fun and cool and awesome. So that thought comes into your mind, I think I want to try that. Are you at that moment, are you an alcoholic? No. no. You haven't even tasted it. You haven't even bought it. You're probably going to be like, oh, what was that? That's stupid. And you're going to walk out. You're not an alcoholic because you thought it looked cool. You were tempted. The temptation doesn't label you as an addict. If someone says, hey, you want to try and smoke this drug or do this thing, and you just you think about it for a moment, gosh, it kind of looks fun. Are you now a drug addict because you thought for a moment about entertaining your temptation? The answer is no. So if I can think about, oh, gosh, that bottle of beer is a cool color, but that doesn't make me an alcoholic, or you can think about drugs be tempted by these things, but that doesn't make you an addict, then why is it that if you think, oh, gosh, maybe that guy or that girl, that same-sex attraction is there, oh, then he's gay. Wait, 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 it's a temptation. They had a thought. So now you label them an addict? A homosexual or someone who's gay is someone who is committed to living for that temptation. Just like an alcoholic is someone who didn't just get tempted by a moment, but he bought it and drank it and bought it and drank it and bought it and drank it and bought it and drank it. Now they have become an alcoholic. Or a drug addict is someone who chooses to do drugs and over and over and over again, they become the drug addict. A homosexual is not someone who says, oh, they're attractive. That can be a temptation. That can be a sideways thought. That can be confusion. It can be a lot of things, but that doesn't make you gay. Makes you human. See, when people struggle with things, look at some girls struggle hard with guys are too cute. There are some girls who just don't know not how, how to not have a boyfriend, right? And there are some guys who just, they can't keep their eyes off of girls. They are just way too cute. That is as equally wrong in the sight of God. It is. So don't run around and think, oh, they're freaks. They're not freaks. Or if you've thought, oh, man, that guy's handsome or ladies, you admire each other or whatever. In that moment, you need to recognize, no, that's temptation. That doesn't label you as an addict. It doesn't label you as a homosexual. It means, hey, that's temptation. And what do you do with temptation? You don't entertain it, that's for sure. You don't feed it and let it grow. You don't give it more and more of your life. You don't give it more and more attention. Just because you want or feel something doesn't mean you should do it, right? Like if you want to play video games rather than do homework, that doesn't mean you should go play video games instead of do homework. If you want to close the door on your sister's hand, that doesn't mean you should do it. If you want to, you guys with me? Just because we, guys, we are sinful, it's our nature. Our flesh wants things that God says, no, these are bad. Don't do it. Why not? Because I love you. It's destructive to you. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt those around you. I have a plan and a future and a hope and thoughts of peace and not of evil. And so when temptation comes, 
just because people say, oh, look, you're born. No, 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 no. God says, no, you're created in the image of God. I have made you. So when temptation comes for some of you, it may just be jealousy, or it may be lying, or it may be sexual temptation. For some of you, it may be that same-sex attraction. You deal with all of it the same. You cut sin off. Matthew chapter 19. I want you to find two verses with me. Matthew chapter 19. What did Jesus ever say? Did he address it? Because people will argue all the time, did Jesus ever address homosexuality? The answer is yes. Absolutely. Matthew chapter 19. And then we'll flip backwards just a little tiny bit and get there with you. Matthew 19. People will tell you, well, Jesus never talked about it. Well, he didn't give up and give a speech on same-sex attraction, but he clearly laid the foundation for what a healthy relationship looks like. More than once, by the way. Matthew 19, verse 4 and 5. He's being questioned about marriage and about divorce, and he backs up all the way to the very beginning, which is where you should always go. And remember, the Lord says, I don't change. Jesus does not go back and wish he could erase Leviticus and Genesis and rewrite the beginning of the Bible. He simply stands firm on it. Being asked in question about divorce and marriage, verse 4 says, and he answered and said to them, have you not read? By the way, he's saying, Guys, you're the religious people. You should know this by now. Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? How did God create us? Male and female, right? Now let's keep going. He says, God made them male and female, verse 5, and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Let me ask you a question. What reason? Jesus says, for this reason. What's the reason? What's the reason? What? <laughs> to have children. It's part of it. Let me read it to you again. Verse 4. Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And he said, for this reason. What reason? The male and female. God says, I made them male and female, and that is why they should leave father and mother and be joined together as one flesh. This is amazing. Jesus goes all the way back. Look, you can't argue. He doesn't need to talk about same-sex attraction or homosexuality or gay or lesbian or any of that stuff when he just simply says, male and female, that's the way they were created. That's the way God intended it to be. You don't have to talk about everything else if you understand the truth. Flip backwards just a hair to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5 is cool, full of so much good stuff. But Matthew chapter 5, just 17 and 18. It says, do not think that I came to destroy the law, like Leviticus, when we just read, hey, men shouldn't sleep with men, girls shouldn't sleep with girls. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill it, for assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle, means a, a hyphen or a comma or exclamation point or a period, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Jesus says, male and female, they were created, and that's why they should get married. And by the way, he says, hey, look it, the entire word of God, beginning to end, the only time you will no longer need the word of God is when heaven ceases to exist and earth is burned up and gone. 
Until then, it doesn't change. God says, I've spoken, and I'll stand by it. So a quick question for you. What do you do? What do you do about it? What do you do with your sin? No matter what it is, it can be what we're talking about today. It can be the temptation to lie or cheat. or It can be any of these things. What do you do with it? You hold it and cuddle it. And... No. Jesus says you kill it. That's not nice. Well, here's the problem. If you don't kill it, it will kill you. That's how sin works. Matthew chapter 5, verse 30, it tells us clearly, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Don't give it opportunity again. Take it out. Does that mean unplug the computer? Does it mean change your group of friends? Well, that's kind of drastic. Don't you think cut it off, kill your sin sounds kind of drastic? Jesus says, look, it's better for you to enter into eternity the right way than to live the wrong way. But what if your friends are the ones struggling? What if your friends are the ones struggling? I remember in high school being asked. I, I remember it as clear as day. I was a, probably a sophomore or a junior in high school. And I had a friend. He was like, hey, do you ever, uh, you ever think about like, what it's like, you know, like to kiss a guy or something? Now, for me, girls are my problem and a lot of other things, but guys were not. So for me, it's like, hey, do you, uh, do you ever think about, nope. Sure don't. It's a growing problem in the world. It's been around for a long time. What do you do? If you were standing in the street and you saw a car coming and they're going to hit your friend, but they're not going to hit you, you just be like, yeah, whatever. I mean, it's going to hurt them a whole lot more. It's going to hurt me. Or do you, you grab them and pull them off the road? I would hope you pull them off the road. What if they get mad at you? What if they scrape their knee? It doesn't matter. You saved their life. What if they never talk to you again because they break their ankle and they're mad at you because you, you pushed them down? Is that okay? I would, I, would, I would rather pull Matthew off the street, break his ankle, and have him never talk to me again than watch him get smashed by a bus. But so often, we won't tell our friends the truth because we're afraid they'll be mad at us. Even though we know, guys, we know it's destructive to their health, it's destructive to their relationships, it's destructive ultimately to eternity. Matthew 6, verses, or sorry, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, it's commanded, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, including the one we're talking about today, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. There are too many people labeling and running around and, oh, you, and just screaming and yelling and pointing fingers. That is not how you help someone. It sure, certainly is not how you show love. A spirit of gentleness. Amen. What you're doing, it's not the way you were born, and it's not right. In the end, it will destroy you. But God has a plan and a future and a hope. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. He says, don't get so close that you get pulled in. 
Don't go try and save alcoholics at a bar. You might get sucked in, right? So be careful. Restore them, but restore them wisely. It says, you bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I want you to think about it. Maybe for some of you need to know it. For some of you, it'll apply to you. But you know that 90% or more of people who struggle with the same-sex attractions have unresolved wounds from the past, something that someone has done to them when they were young. Abuse or neglect or whatever, it's a fact. 90% of people who struggle with same-sex attraction, they're carrying around wounds that are not healed up yet. They're hurting inside, and they can't make sense of it. If that's you, I'll tell you right now, the only one that can heal those kinds of wounds is the Lord. But Jesus does. He says, you come to me, those who are weary and you're heavy burdened, I'll give you rest. If your friends are struggling, they need Jesus, guys. He's the only answer. He's the only truth. It'll be at school soon, more. It'll be on TV. It'll be with your friends. It'll be with your teachers. But this is awesome. Matthew 28, 20, the Lord says, look, it may be everywhere, but I'm with you to the end of the age. You're not alone. And so in closing, I want to ask you guys, we're not here to start a big campaign about taking back the rainbow or something, which we should take back the rainbow, but I'm not, not here to try and get you pumped up to run out and be anti-gay people. We should be pro-Jesus kind of people. They're people that need to see the truth. We've been silent way too long. Way too long. And you know, if you were to go outside right now and tell people, hey, I think it's wrong to be gay, you know that people will get mad at you. Do you know that? Yeah, I know You'll be labeled, you hate people, you're mean, you stereotype, you're unloving. You know that, right? But is it true? No, is it true? Do you really hate people? Do you wish they burned in hell? Are you mean? No. So what they think is true is not true at all, Right? then what they think doesn't matter at that point. If me saving your life makes you think I'm a horrible person, I'm still going to save your life. With that being said, Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and they persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. It's not about making banners and getting loud and making people feel horrible. It's about showing them the love of Jesus and telling them the truth. And if in the process they call you names or make life hard or accuse you of being full of hate, they better have no ground to stand on. We do it in love and in gentleness and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who went before you. So cool. Quick story, and then we'll end. Remember last year, I was picking up one of my kids from kindergarten. Six years old, kindergarten. And their assignment for the day was to draw a picture, right? If anything that, uh, I forget the assignment, draw a picture, something, oh, there's about like Earth Day and creation and stuff. And so they draw something cool that they liked in creation. And so at the time, my six-year-old draws a picture of a rainbow. It's interesting. And mountains and 
all kinds of stuff. And teacher comes by and is like, oh, what'd you draw? And he's like, I drew a rainbow. She's like, oh, well, what made you draw that? And he's like, oh, well, and starts telling her the story of Noah's Ark. Well, God flooded the world one day, but then he promised to never do it again, and, and he saved us, and Noah had faith in him, so God saved him. And then after the flood, God put the rainbow in the sky uh, to, to declare his promise to us that he would never flood the world again. <laughs> How do you know the story? My, my kid did not tell me. After school, I pull up to the parking lot. The teacher comes walking out. I'm like, oh, great. It's kindergarten. He's already in trouble. And he gets in the car, and she, I roll down the window, and the teacher starts saying, hey, your son taught me something today. And at this point, I had no idea what she's talking about. Like, really? So he's not in trouble. She said, no. She's like 68 years old. My son was six at the time. She says, yeah, he taught me. Uh, we, we had to do an assignment about drawing something about creation, and we're studying, you know, the earth and stuff, and he drew the rainbow, and he, he told me all about the rainbow and how it's God's promise, and we're to have, we're to trust God. And I was like, Really? It was awesome. She had never heard the story of God's promise in her life. She had never heard about trusting the Lord. She never heard about the reason for the rainbow. She never heard none of it. We have this idea that everyone knows what we know. It's not true. And at the same time, we're driving home, and the Lord said, hey, if your six-year-old son can tell a 68-year-old lady about who I am, you could probably do a little bit better. And it was time to step it up. You guys have the simple opportunity every day to be a light. So just shine for Jesus. Don't hide it. All right? Let's pray. Lord, there's so many things that life will bring, but Lord, you're steadfast, you're immovable, Lord, you don't change. I do not change, says the Lord. Thank you, God, not only for being that, but for declaring it. And Lord, I pray that as we face a culture and a generation, Lord, that embraces the sin, Lord, you give us the courage to call it what it is. But Lord, we do it with the right heart. May we never be found guilty of evil or hatred or bitterness. Lord, break our hearts more for the lost. And God, if anyone in here today, that's their struggle. Lord, show them, remind them, they're not a freak, they're not crazy, they're not weird, they're not messed up. It's temptation. So they're to get rid of it. Lord, we thank you, we praise you in Jesus' name.